welcome, and thank you for listening to Waypoint Community Church Podcasts. We hope you enjoy. All right, you did great, you did great. If you could have your seats. If you're new to Waypoint and you're wondering what is going on right now, all I can tell you is this is not, this is not a normal service for us. Uh, we're trying to do something different. Here's what is normal for us. There are some things about this that kind of fit our DNA. We really like trying to understand the historical context that the scriptures are told in. We think they sometimes shape our understanding of what that truth that God was trying to communicate was all about. And so if we can understand the people that he was talking to and why he would have said it that way, then it could mean something to us. And so th this is what we're doing this morning. We're headed to Easter next week. It's a high point of celebration in the church. And unfortunately, it's become so commercialized that many people associate uh, Easter with candy and bunnies and uh, fun times. And I don't have a problem with any of that. I think if you're doing that kind of stuff, that's great. It, I love that it's being celebrated. But what I'd like to do is find a way to recapture the whole point behind Easter. A couple thousand years ago, something really important, seismic happened in the church and um, changed our lives forever. And that's what I want to find a way to go back and recall. So that's what we're trying to do this morning. We have one goal in mind, and that's to attempt to do uh, a traditional Passover service. Now, here's the thing. It's not... It's not traditional to trace your eye. We did not grow up doing this. Uh, I did this once with my family um, when a Jewish person came in. I remembered it. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, but, but we have lots of notes because there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of details that goes with this um, that we're just not that familiar with. We've had to do a lot of research and reading and that sort of stuff. But our goal, our hope, is that we can um, bring you into this process and it'll become personal for you in some way. There, this is practiced um, by Jewish people all over the world, and it was a practice that started 3,500 years ago. God started it through Moses. Um, so this, was, this is an idea that God had, and um, maybe we should get some history to understand why we're even here doing this. And it starts as simply as this. Israel found themselves in Egypt bound by slavery with no hope of anything ever changing except God. Except God decided that he would bring them freedom. And so God had a lot of tools at his disposal, but he chose to use a guy called Moses. And he went to Moses, he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to ask for the release of my people. And Pharaoh, who thought he held all power and was an almighty being, decided that he would go toe-to-toe -to -toe with God and resist that request. And so God um, starts to reveal his power in the scriptures by sending plagues on Egypt. And the first three plagues, everybody in Egypt, including the children of Israel, all experienced. So when the water turned to blood, they had to live through that. When there were frogs everywhere, they had to live through that. When there were gnats, have you ever had a gnat just kind of bug you, bug you, bug you? Now think of swarms of gnats that you can't get away from. Just everywhere, going up your nose and your eye and your ear like it's driving you nuts. Everybody dealt with that. But on the fourth, the flies, God made a distinction. And we actually see that distinction happening in Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. He said, but on that day, 
I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. Israel lived in Goshen. That should be easy for you to remember at this point. So no swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. For um, the flies and the next five plagues, not one of them touched an Israelite. Uh, God was targeting at the Egyptians, and he was making a distinction. He was setting a precedent that I have the ability to protect Israel from this stuff and to show you how powerful I am. It will only impact you. It will not impact my own people. But then something odd happens. The tenth plague gets established, and it's for everyone. Why? It's the worst. The worst plague is um, God's going to send a death angel. And as it comes over Egypt, the firstborn son, the firstborn livestock, the firstborn is going to die. It's a punishment that God's going to bring on Egypt. And he has shown that he has the ability to protect Israel from such things. But in this case, Israel is not exempt. Israel is going to have to face the death as well, which makes you stop and go, why would, he, why would he like save them from all these other miserable things, but the worst possible thing, death? Why, why is he doing this? Well, there's a reason he was doing it this way. Uh, I love it when people say, I, I'm, I'm reading this in the scriptures and I want to know what God has to say. Because God does speak through the scriptures. I wish they would um, add a layer to that and say, I wonder what God shows me too. Because over and over again in the scriptures, God uses images and pictures to communicate his truths as much as he does saying things. He's doing things that people can wrap their minds around and he's creating a picture that they could live with. And that is what's involved in this Passover meal. Um, God wanted to create a picture of how he was going to deliver Israel. Not just from slavery right then, but a much bigger picture. And the thing is, everybody faces death. doesn't matter who they are. And so that's why they get included in this last plague. And, and God explains how they're going to deal with that. Um, he gives them instructions about this meal, this Passover meal, which is why it's named Passover. That angel is going to pass over. If you're protected, you're okay. If you're not, death will visit you and your family. So this kind of instruction is given. This is in Exodus 12, verse 5. starts in verse 5. The animal you choose must be one year old without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. There's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be a sheep or goat. It has to be perfect. You're going to start to see mirrored things connected to Jesus through this whole thing. Okay? In verse 6, it says, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Understand, they took that sheep and that goat and it lived in their house for 14 days with them. There was an attachment that you would get with this animal. And it was because you had to understand that this sacrifice was personal. Like it, it was going to come with some pain. You would slaughter it. Then... They are to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs. 
That night, they are to eat meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. All of these um, were established by God to tell a picture, to tell a story about what he was doing in the world. It was a bigger story. It wasn't just about Israel and Egypt and slavery. It was about mankind and sin and death. And the steps that God was going to go through in order to bring about their salvation. So all of this is happening. And, um, and then God adds this. This is in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 12. He says, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And people have been faithful to that. For 3,500 years, the Jewish people have celebrated this ceremony. And from what I can tell, it's changed a lot over the years. I, even some scholars don't know when some of the changes took place. They don't know why that's been included or when it got included or that sort of thing. But, um, but in essence, some of the core stuff has been around for a long period of time. And uh, this morning, we have 50 minutes to do something that would normally take close to three hours. A family would take their time doing this. Uh, they would have a, a booklet that they would follow right along. There were things that would be, had to be um, said in a certain way, and they would do that together, or a certain person would lead, all of that sort of thing. And here, here's the difference, though. For many people who now practice this, this is just a nice thing that they do because their family's always done it. And I hope this morning that's not the case for you. I hope what you'll do is as we go through this, there's pieces and parts of this that speak about your connection with God and what God has done on your behalf. And I'm hoping that as you go through this and you realize that God loved you, dealt with your sin, your slavery, and found a way to rescue you, that you'll see this story personally. And that as you head into Easter, your view of Easter will be a lot different based on the story, the picture, the images that God provides. And there's a lot of cool ones. So that's where we're headed this morning. And I hope, um, I hope my, as I prayed about this morning, that this would be something that was real for you that would change the way you think about Easter. Okay? Uh, we're going to start this morning uh, the way a Jewish family might start. Before they would even prepare this meal, they would clean their house. And they were cleaning it to get one thing out of the house, and that's leaven. You couldn't have, um, leaven is a yeast and a bread that makes it rise. All of that has to be wiped out of the house because in the scriptures it stands for sin. So they are known to clean their house with toothpicks and Q-tips in an effort to get every last ounce of leaven. And they will actually have somebody come in and certify that their home is clean certified clean so that they can begin the preparation of the Passover meal. On your table, there are some Q-tips. If everybody could get a Q-tip. I want you to use that to start cleaning up your table. Start cleaning up, clean it up, get the edges, get the top, rub it on, whatever. And as you do that, I want you to remember that what's happening here is a picture it's a picture to help you understand that there's something bigger going on. And here's the bigger thing that's going on. 
This, this representation of getting the leaven out is about you stopping and making sure that your heart is right with God before we do this this morning. So before we go any further, I'm going to ask you to take 30 seconds and to just be quiet, just to bow your head and be quiet. And if you have some cleaning up to do internally, I'm going to ask that you do that so that you can make things right before you and God before we go any further. It's time to clean up the inside. Now that your internal house is in order, we're going to get started, and it um, starts with a woman, and so Tracy is going to get us started with the Passover meal. All right, may I please have one lady stand at each table, and if you do not have a lady at your table, if you would kindly, uh, what did you one. call it, borrow, um, mitigate, whatever, kidnap. Word, that word. No. kidnap someone else um, to go to your table, I just need one person. Okay, because the next thing that is done is done by a woman. So ladies, if you would please find the matches at your table and light the two candles that are there. That would be fantastic. And stay standing. And, then, and please stay standing. All right, we're getting there. Okay, we're going to go ahead and pray the prayer together up on the screen, the ladies who lit the candles to usher in this meal. We're going to go. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us that we may kindle the holiday lights. All right, you may be seated. Thank you so much. We're really thankful that you ushered in this with lights. So let's think about this. What picture imagery could we conjure up to understand why a woman would bring light into the meal and usher in the meal? Has she what, hated cooking? Because she's good at cooking? That's a, really good, that's a really good answer. We're going to think about what happened in the time of Jesus when Mary actually gave birth to Jesus because she was willing to bring the light of the world, the true light of the world, into it. So that's why the woman starts with candlelighting. She was willing, and she was also willing to bring her son before the priest Simeon. And he actually mentions the light of the world to everyone he was talking to. In Luke 2, 32, he said, A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. That's the true light. The true light he had come, and he had come through a woman. So the Passover starts with a woman bringing light into the world. And, he got, and God points to our freedom and our light to start this Passover tradition. And it all points back to Jesus. Okay, I need a guy to stand at the table and pick up one of the full cups. Um, just, yep, one full cup. And because we had a few bumps in the road last year, let me just clarify. Do not down this cup yourself, okay? 
You are sharing this with everybody at your table as soon as we're done with it. We've got a couple prayers to do, and then there are smaller cups at the table that you'll pour this into so that everybody can take this together. That's where we're headed, okay? Um, this prayer uh, we'll do over this cup. We'll bless the cup first, and then we'll have another prayer to do. So guys, we'll do this one together. You ready? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who, that's not right. Oh, there it is. King of the universe who creates the fruit of the vine, okay? This first cup is called Kaddish. It was about the promise of God to lead them out of slavery. And, and the way they looked at this is that they had been in slavery for so long, and the promise of freedom was right there. But they wanted to celebrate that God had found a way to sustain them to the place where he could then give them freedom. And so they would pray this second prayer. Guys, pray this together. Um, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us in life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this season. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. Um, we're going to ask you to then pour this cup into everybody else's cup. Once everybody has a full cup, I want you to take this together and then share at your table something that God has done in the last year that has sustained you, held you up, blessed you, protected you. And we're going to give you just a, a short time to do that. So go ahead and pass out the cup, take it together, and then remember God's promise to sustain you. And we'll throw a little background music in while they share. Okay, you can take that cup together and then share at your tables how God has sustained you. Yeah, guys, you can seat, sit down after you've served everybody. Okay, next we'd like to ask you to find the wet wipe at your table, if everybody could grab one and wash your hands. Now we're cheating a little because if you were in a Passover home, you would actually wash your hands with a basin of water. But we're going to go ahead and have your hands cleaned and we'll tell you a little bit about why we do that as we go. After your hands are cleaned, if you would please grab the green parsley that's on your table. The Jewish people call it the carpus. The green is from spring, and it also stands for new life and rebirth. And you will dip this in the salt water for, to symbolize tears, which is in the little bowl on the side. A slave's life is hard. 
It was full of dirty hands and pain and tears. But the exodus from Egypt marked their rebirth and their freedom. So to symbolize it, they actually got to wash their hands, and they actually got to dip the parsley in the salt water. They had time to do that. They did it to remember that new life came through tears. Our new life in Jesus comes through the tears of his death. So go ahead. If you haven't yet, dip the parsley in twice and then eat it. My favorite part of the, uh, the parsley is that now you have to wonder if there's green stuff in your teeth the rest of the morning. Don't tell each other. It makes it more fun this way. Now it's about to get interesting. Um, you need to identify the youngest person at your table. Who's the youngest person at your table? Some it might be easy. Because they have a task that they have to complete next. On everybody's table, there's a... Um, a little basket, a little put together of matzah. There's three layers. In the, in the center, there's a matzah bread, and I, I need the youngest to take and break that in half and to remove that and to hide it. Um, this is called the apikomen. This is practiced in modern-day Jewish homes right now. Nobody knows when it was added, when it was started. I have my suspicions about when that might have started. But this will be returned to the table later by the youngest for a reward of some sort. So they would, they would take and break that off and hide it. So they get to hide that somewhere from everybody else. Okay? So that's, that's all we're doing for right now is they break it, take it, hide it, and then we're moving on. Okay? All right. Now the time has come to tell the story of the Passover. There will be four key questions that are asked and answered as the story is told. Now, normally one person would recite what's of the following prayer, but it's not a traditional Passover, so I'm actually going to pray it. And Oh, no, wait, we're going to all repeat it together. I'm sorry. So we're going to go ahead and read this up on the screen. Ready? One, two, three. There, there arose in Egypt a Pharaoh who knew not of the good deeds that Joseph had done for that country. Thus he enslaved the Jews and made their lives harsh through servitude and humiliation. This is the basis of for the Passover holiday, which we commemorate with these different rituals today. Good. Okay. So next we're going to look at the youngest at the table. You're going to ask very specific questions about the Passover meal. So get ready. We're going to have some things on the screen that I'd like you to repeat with me. Ready? Here we go. Why is this night different from all other nights? Another one. On all other nights, we eat bre either bread or matzah. But on this night, why only matzah? On all other nights, we eat herbs or vegetables of any kind. And on this night, why bitter herbs? On all other nights, we do not even dip once. But on this night, why do we dip twice? On all other nights, we eat our meals in any manner. On this night, why do we sit around the table together in a reclining position? Uh, this is done by the youngest because they would probably be most inquisitive, but they intended to find a way to make this fun, and they would go about answering these questions the rest of the, 
that storytelling time. They would find a way to respond in a way that would engage them. Uh, we don't have time to do all of that. We're going to pick a few of these that we can talk about. For instance, why do we recline? Well, um, you're not reclining now, but you are sitting in leisure. In Jesus' time, they actually would have reclined. They had these places they ate at called a triclinium. It was kind of a hollow horseshoe, and people would lay on the outside of it, and then somebody could come and serve them on the inside of it. And so people would actually, they would lay down, literally. And it was because, if you remember, the first Passover, they ate with their cloak tucked in, their staff in their hand, their shoes on, and they ate in haste, ready to go. Is because they were being freed from slave. But now that they were free, they had a chance to do this in leisure. And so they would talk about how you could, we're sitting here, we're having a meal that's comfortable. This has um, been afforded to us because God has provided us freedom. And so they would talk about those kind of issues. Um, and uh, the whole evening would kind of go like this. And again, we're not going to be able to pick all of it up, but we're going to pick up certain pieces of it here and there. So if everyone would like to help... Yeah, we're they would have some things the they would recite together. Yeah, we're going to recite the next section. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God brought us out with slavery, with, sorry, and an outstretched arm. And if God had not brought our ancestors out of Egypt, we, we and, and our, our children, children and our children's children, children would still be subjugated to Pharaoh in Egypt. Even if we were old and wise and learned in Torah, we would, we would still be commanded to tell the story of the Exodus from Egypt. And the, the more we talk about the Exodus from Egypt, the more praiseworthy we are. For this moment, we would really like it to be personal to you. So I'd like to ask you to just either bow or close your eyes while I pray in a way that this might sound if it was coming from my lips. I was a slave held by sin. God rescued me with a strong arm and an outstretched arm. If God, if God had not brought me out of my sin, me and my children and my children's children would have no hope. We would all be owned by sin. Even if I followed Jesus for years and am wise, even if I've studied my Bible for years, I would still find it necessary to remember, to remember my freedom from sin. And the more I talk about my freedom that I have, the more filled with praise I would be because of Jesus. Amen. Passover just becomes a tradition without understanding the beauty of God's outstretched arm across our sin and into our world, into your world, and into mine. The Passover story will continue with the people telling details about what God did. They'll talk about the Red Sea crossing and how God led them by a pillar and a cloud, how they left Egypt with wealth because God saw fit to do that. And although we don't have time to tell every single piece of the story, Blair has a section that he'd like to tell with kind of a modern twist. It's deep, and it's heart-captivating, and I hope that you'll listen. Uh, band, if you would come up and um, prepare for, uh, to help us, it would be great. Uh, one of the questions that was asked is, why do we dip twice? And if you thought that maybe it was about dipping the parsley twice, it's not. It's actually um, 
kind of fascinated by this. There are a lot of different ways that dipping twice happens in Jewish homes. Some of them dip the parsley and the egg. That's what we're going to do. Some of them dip the parsley and they dip the cherisote in the bitter or the bitter herb into the cherisote. So there's different ways of doing this, but there's only two dippings. And these two dippings um, commemorate a couple things. One of them is that as slaves, they had to make their food in a hurry, consume it in a hurry, because they were always on the clock. They were always under demand, and there was never a chance to eat in leisure. And dipping suggested that you had a little bit of time if you could dip your food in something and be a little more luxurious. And so they would, they would tell about how freedom had allowed that to happen. But the two dippings also represent, I, I just found this out this year, I love it, I think it's incredible, the two dippings represent to the Israelites the two dippings that got them into the problem and out of the problem of slavery. And they would say, um, where this all started was when Joseph and his brothers got into a relationship where it was so filled with hate that they decided it would be okay to sell him into slavery and they took his coat and they dipped it in blood to fool the father to believe that he'd been killed. And this, they say, is where slavery started. The breaking of that family relationship, which makes sense, should make sense to us because we're used to Jesus looking at us and saying, man, if you want to know what I really care about, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And they broke that. They couldn't even love their own brother. And, and the Jewish people would say, this is where slavery started because Joseph was sent down and the family would soon follow and it was good for a while, but we already had a prayer where they forgot the good that Joseph had done and pretty soon the whole family was enslaved in this situation and it started because they were willing to sell out their brother and they, they remember that first dipping in blood and they talked to their family about how that started, how this hate and malice between us destroys what God had in mind. And then they talk about the second dipping that made all the difference in the world. When the blood of that sheep or that goat is taking some hiss up and you put that on your doorposts. And that ushered you into a place where you could have freedom. And so they talk about how those two dippings become central to who they are as people. And that really, the only reason that they were free is because God delivered on the second one. They got themselves into it on the first one. God got them out of it with the second one. I think it's beautiful. And this is the kind of stuff they're telling as they sit around and have these conversations. This will go on for 40 or 50 minutes. Part of what um, happens during this time is they'll actually sing songs with each other. It's, it's participatory. It's celebration. It's that sort of thing where people are fired up and excited about the story that's being told. And so we're going to ask you to do the same right now. If you'd stand, we're going to do a song, and we're going to ask you to really put your heart into it and celebrate what God's been doing for you.
seat. Fantastic. Like I said, this would go on 40, 50 minutes. They're not, they're not trying to rush this. They're telling the story. They're telling the big parts. They're celebrating. They're doing songs together. They're trying to remember. I, I love it. Um, I, I wish we had something like this in our own culture, um, but I love what's happening here. Um, Tracy, let's keep going there. All right. So as the storytelling comes to a close, there'll be an explanation about some of the items on your plate They'll talk about three specifically, the shank bone, 
which we're have to pretend that this is a shank bone, um, that represented the sacrifice of blood of the lamb so that they could be spared. And that represents to us the fact that our Savior bled and died for us so that we could be rescued from sin. They'd also talk about the matzah, what's in this little packet here, a reminder that everyone had to hurry to make bread. There was no time to add yeast to the um, bread so that it would rise like Blair talked about. But what I find interesting is that hurrying had a purpose. They were running from slavery to him. And then the mara, the bitter herb that's in the middle, it's mentioned in the first Passover, um, that is there to help recall the bitter pain and the suffering that they endured as slaves. After the explanation, um, after this 40-minute time where they're telling the story, they're explaining the questions that the youngest had asked to get all of that done, um, they would get to a place uh, where somebody would make this statement in the room. They would say, Tradition teaches us that we are to look upon ourselves as having personally fled Egypt, which for us is pretty easy to do because that's exactly what's happened in our lives. We were able to flee from sin to God, and so this is a personal thing. And um, from this point forward, like there's going to be several more things that we do, and the next cup is going to initiate it. It would be done with a sense of thankfulness. The first cup was taken for a promise that God would deliver, but the next one is going to be in thankfulness for his delivering. So here's what I need for you to do. I need another guy, same guy, I don't care. Second cup, if you could pick up the cup and stand again. Okay, we're going to do um, the blessing over this cup right on the side screen, nice and loud. Here we go. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Um, again, this cup is taken to signify that God delivered on his promise, and you are freed from slavery. Guys, share this with everybody at your table. Once everybody has some in a cup, take it together. Then you'll take it together and remember your freedom. You can sit down as soon as everybody's served. I love watching all of you take that together. It reminds me of what the church really is about. Holding on to each other and taking the hard times, the good times, and giving that praise back to God together. So the next portion of this Passover is actually a blessing to God for the hard times, or the hard things. We think about blessing him for the good things, but this is actually a blessing about what's difficult in life. So if someone would please take the top piece of the matzah and hold it, we're going to pray a prayer that's on the screen together. Let me get that ready. All right, here we go. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his laws and commanded us to eat matzah. So great. If you would please break off a piece of the matzah Pass it around, and the next person will break off a piece of the matzah and then hold on to it. That will be great.
You'll pass that all the way around. It'll get back to the person who was holding it. There you go. Doing good. Don't eat it yet. Yep, just hold on to it. All right, we're going to pray a blessing over the mara or the bitter herb. Invite everybody to do that. We're going to have everyone join. On the wall, you'll see the prayer. Are you ready? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his laws and commanded us to eat bitter herbs. So this is going to take some courage because this is about the bitterness that you see in the middle of your, or on the side of your plate. It kind of looks like cream of wheat or garlic or something. That's the mara or the bitterness. I'm going to have you take it and put it on your matzah. Don't eat it yet. Just put it on your matzah bread. Yep, it stands for the hard things in life that we may or may not understand. I'll kind of watch you and see when you're ready. I think we're getting there. Okay, once everybody has your Mara on your bread, am I going too quick? Okay, I'll wait a minute. Go ahead and finish putting that on your matzah, please. Okay, we good? All right, super. If you would take that, please, and pass it to your left. Yep. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I'm serious. So, I just want to let you know that this action serves as a reminder that we don't get to pick our bitterness in life. We don't get to pick the hard things that come our way. I know. Please, yeah, please And eat now it. you get to eat it. I know. You get to eat, yes. Go ahead and down it. Yep, and yeah. Hopefully you have some tea or coffee in front It'll of you. It'll clean out your sinuses. It'll be great. Yep. It is bitter. <laughs> okay. Now don't miss this. It's bitter. What does it represent? Slavery and sin. That's exactly what it is to your life, but don't worry. There's some relief on the way. Take the bottom piece of the matzah. So there's a one on the bottom. Can somebody remove that from the bag? You're going to break off pieces and pass that around and make those pretty decent size. Because the cherisot, the stuff that has apples and cranberries and grape juice, that is what you're going to put on top of the matzah this time. And as soon as you get that on there, you can go ahead and eat that. And there's a sweetness to it that will take that bitter flavor out of your mouth. And it's a reminder that even God can take what's bitter and make it sweet. So that's what the whole point of that picture is. So go ahead and put the, the cherisot on your cracker, and you can go ahead and then take that as soon as you can to give yourself some relief. <laughs> He's evil. Evil laughter. 
All right. As some people are eating, I'd like to ask someone at the table to take the brown egg and begin peeling it, whoever's done eating. Yep, go ahead and crack it on the table, whatever you need. So this item was added to the plate around 70 AD. Does any history buff in here know what happened in 70 AD? Yep, Rome destroyed the temple. Very good. So the holy place that they were used to making sacrifices were no longer available. And that brown egg there represents a burnt offering. Now once you get that egg peeled, that burnt offering will be divided up and everybody will take some. Before you do, though, you'll dip it in the salt water. And this is the second item that will be dipped. It conveys sadness that they can no longer sacrifice for sin. And I can imagine that the early Jews who followed Jesus would also remember that they don't have to be sad anymore because Jesus came and made the ultimate sacrifice for their sin. But since it's still a part of the modern Passover, go ahead and divide up the egg once it's cracked, dip it in the salt, and eat it. As we're celebrating the fact that we're truly thankful as followers of Jesus that we don't have to sacrifice for our sins by going out to an altar and burning something. We get to come to him and our ultimate sacrifice has been made. That's part of the egg, but don't forget that the second dip represents that God, through his blood, provided freedom for us as well. So there's a lot of imagery that goes into this. Um, the egg and the sacrifice, but that second dip is the second dip of the blood on the doorposts. Okay, at this point, there would be a pretty large meal. We're not going to do that, but they would serve lamb. Um, it, would be, it would not be rushed. It would be comfortable. They're enjoying their time with each other. I think maybe the closest thing that we have that you could associate with it is it would be like a Thanksgiving meal, except what's a part of this meal is they're attempting to remember all the great things that God has done for them. I I think sometimes at Thanksgiving, we go around the table and say, name a thing that you're thankful for, and that's really cool. But this whole meal is oriented to causing people to remember how good God had been to them. I, I love it. I think there's something valuable about that. Now, um, after, after the meal is done, so they've had a large meal with each other, the youngest person, whoever took that third or that middle piece and broke it off, they would now return that to the table. So you could bring that back to the table. And, um, and you're going to start by breaking off a piece for yourself and then passing that around, and everybody's going to break off a piece of this. Don't take it yet. Just break off a piece. Now, again, nobody knows when this was added, but I think if, again, you're thinking images and pictures, you're starting to add this up, that um, the matzah represents Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The middle piece was taken and broken and returned um, and there would be a reward. They would often give the kids candy or something like that. But this is taken as dessert with the final and third cup of the morning. Does that sound like something that we've done also? This is, uh, there, there's an, kind of a, a placement of a communion sort of thing in the middle or at the end of this that has to do with this. So make sure that you've passed around the afikoma to everybody. You've broken off a piece, and then we're going to wait, and we'll do the third cup. There's some prayers that we have to do before that third cup can be taken and the last piece of matzah can be eaten.
So like Blair said, a prayer would be recited as the meal's coming to an end. And after the prayer, then the third cup will be taken with the matzah. So I'd like if somebody would pass out the third cup and make sure that everybody has some. But don't drink it yet. So we talked a little bit earlier about remembering and retelling the story. And I think about remembering helps my mind to calm into those busy, hurried, tired, worried places. When I remember the truth, it squelches out that other stuff. And when I retell the story of Jesus or I tell what he does for me, that's a way of entering praise and allowing that praise to come forward. So I'm going to just say this prayer for as much as I can because it's kind of long, and then I'll ask you to join in with me as we remember together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sustains the entire world with goodness, grace, loving kindness, and compassion. He gives, he gives bread to all, for his grace is everlasting. And in his great goodness, we have never lacked anything and we will never be deprived of food for the sake of his great name. For he is the God who provides for all and does good for all and prepares food for all his creatures that he created. Blessed, blessed, blessed are you, Lord, who provides for all. God, and God of our ancestors, May you remember, may you remember us on this day of Passover to bless us, not with things, not with money, not with status, not with things to fill our schedule, God, but with kindness and mercy for a life of peace and happiness. And we pray that he, that you, God, who establishes peace in the heavens, will grant peace, shalom peace for us, for all of Israel, and for all of mankind. And let us say amen. 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 So please join me together with what's on the prayer on the wall. Blessed, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. So if you're willing, please take that third cup and that matzah bread and eat together. For the Jews, that third cup represents that they are still hoping for Messiah to come. But for us, we get to celebrate that Messiah has already come. The fourth cup that sits at the table is half empty. Uh, it wouldn't be at theirs. We're just cheating a little bit. Um, it would not be drank. Uh, part of it would be poured out, which we already did for you. And this poured out portion, this little half used, would be set at a table, um, a chair that's empty. And it's sitting there representing the longing, the hope that Elijah would show up so that their Messiah could eventually come. They're still longing for their Messiah to return. And ours has, it's why it makes uh, this story, this picture so incredible. You can see Jesus in everything that's here. Uh, but it's a little, it's a little, um, 
It's a little sad for me that the people who are so intertwined in this, who made it a practice, a habit, are still hoping that one day their Messiah will come. And our, ours has, and there's a lot to celebrate. Uh, it's kind of why we did this this morning, is that we're hoping that as we head into Easter next week, maybe your perspective has changed a little bit. Maybe for you, there is an attitude of thankfulness for what God has done. Maybe for you, you're going to realize that some bitter stuff that's come into your life, that God's the one who has a way to make that sweet, and only him. Um, there, there's all kinds of things that you can grab onto in this, kind of this picture of we've done, of the freedom that you've been given. And I hope, as you make your way toward Easter and celebrating that, that this season will be far more than the celebrations that we do with our family, far more than about candy and Easter and all of that, but about a God who loved you, sacrificed, gave himself for you, and rescued you out of sin that you could not have rescued yourself from. This is the story. This is the picture. And I'm, I'm hoping that you found it of value today. I'd like to pray as we end. Would you join me? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. We are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful that you looked on us with compassion in our slavery and decided to free us. We're so grateful that in you, the bitter can become sweet. We're so grateful because we can be in leisure because of the freedom that you provide. We're so grateful because the blood that provided that freedom for us came from you. God, I ask that as these things go with us, that it would change the way we celebrate and think about Easter. We ask that you would be active in doing that for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being good sports about this. I hope you'll come back and celebrate Easter with us next week. Thank you so much. We are so glad you're able to experience what's happening here at Waypoint Community Church through our podcast. Our prayer is that these resources are a blessing to you. Please be sure to catch us again next time.